Uh, he's been good to me. I should do appreciate seeing you guys this morning. Uh, Sunday is my favorite day because I get to be with Jesus and hang out with him and hang out with my church family, and I love it. Uh, today, I want to talk to you about the sovereignty of God. I'm going to talk to you about the sovereignty of God. We're going to look at Mark chapter 14. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, Mark chapter 14. I've got a picture here of a, a young, young boy named Aiden McCarthy. Uh, maybe you heard about this story. Uh, this happened last week. On the 4th of July, uh, he went to a parade with his parents in Highland Park, Illinois. Uh, while they were there at the parade, an uh, evil, evil man opened fire on the crowd, killing seven people. Two of the seven people were Aiden's parents. In the aftermath, they found Aiden wandering the streets of Highland Park alone, and uh, the police took him to the police station. Uh, the grandparents came shortly thereafter and picked him up, and Aiden's first question to his grandparents was, where are mommy and daddy? So you hear about stories like this. I mean, we could, talk, we could, we could share a story like this every single week, and many of you, you've experienced some sort of tragedy in your own life in the not-so-distant past. And when stuff like this happens, it breaks our heart. Uh, my heart breaks for victims around the world of injustice and pain and tragedy. My heart breaks for people like that. And it infuriates me, those people who perpetuate evil. It infuriates me. And when these things happen, it's, it's really easy, as you reflect, as you think about it, it's really easy to ask some difficult questions. Namely, where is God in all this? Is God there? Does God care? Is God still in control? How many of you have asked those questions before in your life? I think we all have. This passage I'm going to read to you today is inspired believers throughout the generations as they're dealing with those questions, helping us to understand and, and get through this problem of pain and evil that we experience in our world. So I pray today is an encouragement to you. Let's all stand together in honor of the reading of God's word, beginning in Mark chapter 14, verse 12. On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and prepare the Passover so that we may eat? So he sent two of his disciples and told him, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Wherever he enters, tell the house, the owner of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make the preparations for us there. So the disciples went out, entered the city, and found it just as he told them, and they prepared the Passover. When evening came, he arrived with the twelve. While they were eat, reclining and eating, Jesus said, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me one who is eating with me. They began to be distressed and say to him, one by one, surely not I. He said to them, it is one of the 12, the one who is dipping bread in the bowl with me. For the son of man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to the man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. Let's pray. Father, we come today so grateful for you. Lord, if not for you, we'd be lost. Lost in this world, lost in our life, lost forever and ever. But because of you, we have hope. Thank you. 
Lord, we need you. We need you now just as much as we've ever need you. And so, Lord, I pray, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll come and that you'll speak clearly to our congregation today, that you'll speak clearly through me. And, Lord, that we'll be inspired and encouraged and equipped. As you stand there with your eyes closed and your head bowed, take a moment and pray for the people around you. I'd ask today that you pray for Dave and his family. Dave's just not doing well. Just pray for him, for his healing. I'd also ask today that you pray for the Halls, the Hunters, and the Bradys. These are families in our church that lost a loved one this week. Take a moment and pray for the people that are going to be watching online, especially those that are far from God. Take a moment and pray for yourself. Father, speak to us. We're ready to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So the Bible teaches us that God is sovereign. The word sovereign means that God is completely in control. God is sovereign in power, and God is sovereign in his will. He upholds all things by his almighty power, and he determines the outcome of all things by his undeniable will. All things are dependent on God's power. All things serve the purposes of God's will. And so we're all, as Christians, we're all very comfortable with the idea that God is all-powerful. But as we recognize the sovereign power of God, it leads us to question God's sovereign will. Because if God had the power to stop what happened in Highland Park, then why did he allow it to happen? See, that's the dilemma that we're all faced at certain points in our life. God, you've got the power to stop this thing from happening to me and my family. Why did you allow it to happen? It's a dilemma for all of us. In order to better grapple with this tension that we constantly have to live with in this life, it is helpful for us to consider the revealed will of God and the secret will of God. The revealed will of God and the secret will of God, which are highlighted in this passage. Let's look again. Mark chapter 14, verse 12. On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and prepare the Passover so that we may eat? So he sent two of his disciples and told them, go into the city. A man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Wherever he enters, tell the owner of the house. The teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. So in these verses, we see the revealed will of Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. He wants his disciples to prepare the Passover meal. He wants them to go into the city. He wants them to find a man carrying a jar of water. He wants them to follow the man back to a house. He wants them to talk to the owner of the house. He wants them to ask the owner of the house, teacher, or the teacher asks, where is my guest room? And he promises that they will find a man with a jar of water. The man will lead them to a house and that the owner will have a room ready. This is the revealed will of Jesus to his disciples. That's all they have to go on. 
But there are a lot of unanswered questions in this situation. We could call this the secret will of Jesus. He doesn't reveal it. And these are questions. If you're anything like my kids, you would ask all these questions. How many of you, your kids, ask you an obnoxious amount of questions? The why, where, when, how long, those kind of questions. The disciples, they had every right to ask these kind of questions. Okay, Jesus, now what street should we go to? And, and this man, what's he look like? What's he look like, Jesus? What's the name of this man? Jesus, um, is, have you like prearranged something with this owner? How do we know that we're not like asking a super awkward question to this person? How do we know we're not going to get left out to dry? Jesus, why are you being so secretive about all this? Why won't you just give us the address? Why can't we just go there? The answer to these questions are God's prerogative. For him to know and for the disciples to find out. This is the secret will of God. And so this is our job as Christians. Our jobs as Christ followers is to respond to the revealed will of God and to have faith in the secret will of God. Let me say this again, so important. Our job is not to know the secret will of God, to not know the prerogatives of God. Our job is to respond to the word of God and to have faith in his secret will. Act in light of God's word. Trust God's plan. You remember the story of Abram. Abram and his family, they, they were really like pagans. And God presented himself to Abram in some way that was undeniable. And he says to Abram, go to the land that I will show you. That was his message. This is the revealed will of God. I've got a plan for you, Abram. In order for you to accomplish this plan, in order for you to step into your destiny, I want you to go to the land that I will show you. Abram doesn't ask all the questions that we would ask. Jesus, can you give me the GPS coordinates of this? I'd like a timeline. A budget would be nice. These are all the questions we have. Abram didn't do any of those things. What did Abram do? He packed up his things, he packed up his family, and they left town. Abram is called the father of faith. Why? Because he responded to God's word, he trusted God's plan. He acted in agreement with the revealed will of God, and he had faith in the intentions of the secret will of God. Now, what I've learned is that as you trust God to lead you, he will give you what you need in order to keep you going. As you trust God to lead you along the way, he will give you all that you need to continue on your faith journey. He sent his disciples out on on kind of a creeper mission. You get that, right? You put yourself in the disciples' shoes. Listen to what Jesus is asking them to do. I want you to go and stalk this guy back to his house. And then I want you to invite yourself in. This makes my armpit sweat if Jesus ever asked me to do stuff like this. We don't know this person. We don't know what their name is. We don't really know what we're looking for. We don't know what's going to happen when we get to the house. The police might be involved. I might end up on the evening news. People are going to post about me on Facebook. It's going to be real awkward. But Jesus said to them, this is how you know you're on the right track. You're going to find a man who's carrying a jug of water, which in that day and age was very, very uncommon. You see, if you ever come to church and you want to like distinguish, you want to point out a guy, don't say it's the bald guy with a beard. Don't say that. Don't say, ask for Jeff. That's not going to work here. There's too many Jeffs. 
You need to say something like, look for the person that's wearing a mullet. The mullet, the kid with the mullet, because only certain kids can pull off a mullet. That's not everywhere. Look for the, the man that's wearing a tie-dye rainbow slides because there's only one self-respecting man that I know that can pull that off. Jesus says, look for the guy that's carrying a jug of water. Why? Because in that day and age, only women carried the water jugs. This was domestic work. And so for a man to carry a jug of water was very, very uncommon. This is how you know you're on the right track. And so the disciples went, and they found the guy carrying the jug of water, and um, that gave them confidence to follow the man back to his house and to ask the owner uh, about the guest room. They responded to the revealed will of Christ. They had faith in the secret will of Christ. Look what happened, verse 16. So the disciples went out. They entered the city, and they found it just as he had told them. Man, if you could grab onto one thing today, it's this. They found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover meal. In time, the secret will of Christ will be revealed to you in time. Abram trusted God, and it, the Bible says it was credited, credited to him as righteousness. He became the father of faith. His family became a blessing to the nations because 10, 15, 16 generations later, a, a little baby boy, his great, 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 great grandson, Jesus Christ was born as the savior of the world. It happened because Abram trusted the secret will of God, and he responded to the revealed will of God. Five years ago, six years ago, I was serving at a church in Hardin County. Hardin County is the home of Fort Knox. Uh, I served on the kind of the south side of the county. It's a big county, a very affluent area. I pastored a church uh, that had over 300 people that came every single Sunday, we had just finished paying off a $2 million brand new worship facility, uh, paid it off in five years. And so things were going really well. And uh, everybody was just really pleased with how we were influencing the city. And in, in this journey, the Lord came to me in a lot of different ways and, and, and started speaking to my wife. And he, I, we, we, we felt the call to another place. And around this time, Dave calls me. And he says, would you come up to Christ Church and help lead our church? And so we got both of these things. It's kind of a confirmation. And so we came up for a Sunday service, and uh, we, we started praying. I started talking to some people in the community, asking, you know, if this was going to be a good fit. And uh, we came, uh, and we, we just felt like this is what the Lord was leading us to. And so we were here for about a month, and uh, when I got here, there was about 40, 50 people that were here on Sunday mornings, and uh, the finances weren't good at all. It was like kind of week to week on when, if they were going to pay their bills or not, and the sanctuary smelled like stale hamburger, and uh, the gutters looked like a spotted cow, and one of the first things that happened when I got here, we had a meeting with our finance uh, team, uh, these people that were like over top of our loan, and it was raining outside, and all of a sudden I heard drip, 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 drip. And there was just water pouring into the sanctuary, and we didn't have the money in our budget to, like, put a new roof on or anything like that. And so all this stuff is happening. Uh, you know, you get into a place, like you buy a house, and you get in there, and then you find all the things that are, like, wrong with the house after you've already signed the contract. That's what this church was, okay? 
And uh, about six weeks in, uh, I was totally overwhelmed. And I was really, really doubting that I made the right decision. And so I'm praying to God. I'm like, God, did, did I do something stupid here? Was this your will to have me come to this place? And I was just real, I was like on the verge of like depression because I was just so overwhelmed. And so I started praying. I was like, Lord, can you just help me to see that I'm in the right place? So one day I was outside. I had just finished mowing around the, uh, the church building and I was blowing off. Well, I got, I got hungry. This is what happened. I got hungry and I went to Taco Bell which is, you know, it was a good late lunch place for me to go. And there was nobody in there. It was like one, two o'clock. So this was after the lunch hour. There was one man that came in. He's a police officer. And uh, he ordered before me. He went and got a seat. And then as I'm ordering, I could kind of feel like the Holy Spirit, maybe you felt this before, the Holy Spirit kind of nudging me, saying, I want you to go over there and talk to that police officer. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do it. That's what I told good pastor here. I'm saying no to Jesus. I'm not going to do it. It's too weird because it was like one of these deals, you know, like go and talk to this guy that you don't know that's carrying the water jug. And so I, I went and I ate my lunch and then I came back here to church. And, and so I just finished mowing and now I'm blowing the, the grass off of the driveway. Well, as I'm doing that, this police car pulls up into the driveway. Now you got to understand Taco Bell is way, way over there and Christ Church is way, way over here. And this police car pulls up and the guy rolls down his window. Well, sure enough, it's the guy that the Lord told me to talk to in Taco Bell. And so he starts, he says, uh, so uh, I'm hoping I could talk to the pastor here. And uh, I was like, well, I'm the pastor. And he kind of gave me a weird look because I don't always look like a pastor, especially in my work clothes. And so we started talking. He was like, I'm glad you're here. He said, I come into this, this uh, church parking lot all the time. I've been going through a whole lot of problems. And I just don't know where to turn. And this is a place that I've just found peace. And so it's kind of amazing that you're here on this day to talk to me. And so we prayed. And then the guy left. And I just broke down in tears. Because this was a sign directly from the Lord to me in a place where I was totally overwhelmed. Jesus saying, you're exactly where I want you to be. You see, the Lord, if you just have the faith to walk in his revealed will, along the way, he will give you everything that you need to keep going in your faith journey. God had a plan. They didn't see it. They didn't see it. But they responded to his revealed will, and they trusted that in the end time, he would, he would reveal the secrets to them. Why was Jesus so secretive? Mark chapter 14, verse 10 and 11. You'll remember this from last week. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. And when they heard this, they were glad and they promised to give him money. So he started looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. You see, Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him. But Jesus still had important lessons to teach his disciples. His time had not yet come. And so Jesus was secretive about orchestrating the next few hours of his life, including this meal, so that Jesus could dictate the, the terms of Judas's betrayal so that Jesus could accomplish his plans. You see, despite the chaos and the cruelty that you experience in this world, be reminded today that God is still in control. Mark chapter 14, verse 17 and following, when evening came, he arrived with the 12. While they were reclining and eating, Jesus said, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me, 
They began to be distressed, and they said to him, one by one, surely not I. They ask a question, question mark, not like exclamation point, not, not me. Instead, they ask the question, it's not me, is it, Lord? Verse 20, he said to them, it is one of the 12, the one who is dipping bread in the bowl with me. And so here is the revealed will of Jesus, a very difficult revealed will to his disciples. He says to his disciples, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be handed over to death by one of my closest friends who is in the room with us. That is the revealed will. But this is the secret, the who, the how, the when, the why. Jesus doesn't reveal any of those things, the details that they would like to know. Jesus doesn't reveal it, and it's got the disciples so unsettled in this moment of what is kept hidden that they ask, it's not me, is it, Lord? They're disoriented. They don't know if they're coming or going. They don't know if they can count themselves as a friend or a foe of Jesus because that's what the darkness does. It disorients us. That's what the confusion and the chaos and the cruelty of our world does. It makes us question ourselves and it makes us question God. God, what have I done to deserve this terrible thing that is happening? God, where are you that you've allowed this terrible thing to happen? Jesus gives them all they need to know in this moment. And this is all that you need to know in your moments of chaos, in the moments of cruelty. This is what you need to know. Verse 21. So the son of man, Jesus says, will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man for whom, by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. The who, the how, the when, the why of the betrayal will happen, Jesus says, just as it is written. You see, in the same way Jesus had arranged all the details of the Passover meal, and the disciples found it just as he had told them, it started off uncomfortable, but by the end it was a beautiful blessing. In the same way God arranged all the details concerning the betrayal and execution of Jesus. So as tragic and unjust and heartbreaking as life can be, Jesus wants his followers to know today, even when you can't see it, even when you can't feel it, even when you don't know it, God is moving, God is saving, God is still ruling. It is written, there's a plan and a purpose for your pain and your problems. One of the most remarkable things about God's sovereignty is he can use the free will choices of sinful men to carry out his divine decree and accomplish his eternally good purposes. God leveraged Judas's selfish ambition and vain conceit to accomplish what Jesus had been born to do, to die for the sins of the world and to rise for the redemption of those who would believe. You see, God didn't make Judas betray Jesus. Judas did that on his own accord, but by his free will choices, Judas was cursed and Christ was glorified. You see, here is the secret will of God. Somehow, some way, God will work out his good and glorious purposes despite the darkness, despite the disease, despite the depravity, despite the death in this world. God doesn't need perfect conditions in order to accomplish a perfect outcome. So in the darkest valleys, this is what I want to encourage you to do today. Trust the revealed will of God. What is the revealed will of God? What can we know that we know that we know? We know that God is sovereign. 
We know that he has ultimate authority. We know he has unlimited ability. And so it may appear in your life that Jesus is in a position where he has to borrow. Wasn't Jesus a borrower in his life? He borrowed a manger. He borrowed bread from a boy to feed 5,000. He borrowed a boat from a fisherman so he could preach. He borrowed a donkey so he could ride into Jerusalem at the beginning of this week. He borrowed a room for the Passover meal. He borrowed Joseph's tomb to be buried in. But in reality, what looks like Jesus borrowed, it actually all belongs to him. Jesus says, where is my guest room? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Uh, uh, Psalm 24, one says, the earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord. And so friends, your name may be on the deed of your house, your car, your boat, your business. But the truth of the matter is all those things will serve the purposes of Jesus Christ to your shame or to your salvation. Winchester belongs to Jesus Christ. Clark County belongs to Jesus Christ. Kentucky belongs to Jesus Christ. The United States of America belongs to Jesus Christ. This whole world belongs to Jesus Christ. And so it may look like Congress. It may look like Wuhan Willie. It may look like China. It may look like World Economic Forum. It may look like Judas is calling the shots, but Jesus Christ is the King of Kings. Jesus Christ is the Lord of Lords. Jesus Christ still sits on the throne today, and Jesus Christ will make everything happen according to his glorious plan. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11, so my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty. What will it do? It will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. God is God. There is no other. He has the might and the right to do whatever he pleases. This is the revealed will of God. He is sovereign. And, and, and God is love. God loves you. And God loves this world. You know this. Remember Jesus Christ. In those moments when that knife in your back, the blood on your brow, the fear in your eyes, the pain in your heart makes you doubt the love of God, remember Jesus Christ. What does John 3.16 say? For God so what loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Do you know what gave means in that situation? Jesus Christ was despised and rejected. Jesus Christ was betrayed and forsaken. He was illegally tried and unjustly convicted. He was bloodied and he was beaten. He was mocked and he was killed. You see, the pain that you are forced to endure, Jesus willingly endured. He led the way to Jerusalem. He crawled and scratched his way up Mount Calvary. He didn't fight back when he could have. Instead, he stretched his arms out as far as he could, and he allowed them to nail him to a cross as if to say to all of you today, I love you this much. I love you so much that I am determined to die to pay the penalty for your sins. I am determined and willing to cleanse you from all guilt and shame. I am determined and willing to make you right with God. I am determined and willing to secure your heavenly inheritance in life and death and the resurrection of Christ. God has revealed that he is both sovereign and he is love. 
So walk today in his revealed will and have faith in his secret will. When life's not fair, don't think injustice is unique to you. If they nailed the perfect man, the son of God, the savior of the world to a tree, why would you expect any different? This world is full of darkness and disease and death and depravity, but Jesus Christ turned the greatest injustice the world has saw has ever seen into the greatest triumph the world will ever know. The perfect man crucified on Friday, but raised to life on Sunday. Hell celebrated on Friday, but it trembled by Sunday. The saints fled and cried on Friday, but they worshiped on Sunday. It appeared that darkness had won the battle, but by the end, Jesus Christ had won the war. And so, to all of those orphaned Aidens in the world, you have a choice. You can try and navigate this broken world by your own will, by your own strength, by your own intellect. If you do that, it will lead you to be overwhelmed. It will lead you into despair. It will lead you into darkness. It will lead you into death. Or you can make a choice today that as hard as it is, and all the answers of the questions that you just don't know, that you trust Jesus. Can I encourage you today? As difficult of a situation as some of you are in, and I know personally how difficult it is for some of you today, will you trust Jesus? Trust Jesus, because Jesus Christ turned an instrument of death into an icon of worship. Jesus Christ turned a casket into a cradle, the death place into a birthplace. Jesus Christ turns ashes into beauty. Jesus Christ turns mourning into dancing. Judas was punished. Christ was raised. The evil ones will be punished. The righteous will be vindicated. God will make things right. And so choose today, as hard as it is, I'm going to trust Jesus because he has revealed to me that he is in control and that he loves me. And because he is in control and because he loves me, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds my future. And I know as he holds my future, all this will work out for my good and for God's glory. Let's pray. Father, I pray today that you will minister to all the broken and overwhelmed hearts in this room and within the sound of my voice. Remind them today of all the ways, Lord, that you've been with them. You never left them. You never forsake them. All the things that they thought would kill them, it didn't kill them. All the things they thought would destroy them, it didn't destroy them. They're still here because you've got a plan. You've got a purpose for their life. And not just any old plan, it's a good plan. And so, Lord, I pray today that you'll inspire and encourage and equip each and every one of us to respond to your revealed will and have faith in your secret will as we try and navigate this dark and dying world. Bless us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. We're going to sing a song of invitation, a song of remembrance, a song of decision. If you haven't already, I'd encourage you, if you're a believer today, to take the emblems, the cracker and the juice. It represents the body and blood of Christ. Can you imagine seeing that uh, perfect man, bloodied and beaten on the cross, the life just sucked right out of him. Imagine him hanging on the cross, lifeless. And you're a disciple, and you're looking at that, and you think the story's over. And then you go through a whole Saturday, and nothing happens. 
and you're trying to figure out, you're trying to pick up all the pieces of your life. Not only are your hopes dashed, but the hopes of the world have been dashed with the death of this man. But then the next day, Jesus Christ appears in glory to you. And the whole story gets flipped, turned right upside down. Be reminded of that victory today as you take these emblems. If you're here today and you're carrying a burden that's too heavy for you to carry, I'd encourage you to come and kneel at this altar. Let one of our prayer warriors pray over you. If you're here today and you're far from God, will you please come and let me talk to you, tell you about Jesus, tell you how he's got a plan and purpose for your life no matter where you are, no matter what you've done. So as we sing this song,